Hello, everyone, and welcome to High Performance Pathways. This is episode 14, and I'm your host, Court Whitman. Today's podcast is sponsored by the Notecast app. Use the Notecast app to save snippets of podcasts as digital notes so you never forget all those thoughts, ideas, or aha moments that come to you while listening to a podcast just like mine. Hey, you can download the Notecast app in Apple Store or Google Play. And if you enjoy this podcast, explore more about me at courtwhitman.com. For all new listeners out there, welcome. We're thrilled to have you. High Performance Pathways is a purpose-built and specially selected collection of someone's experience as they discuss how they understand, discover, and chase high performance in their life. This content is collected during a one-on-one intimate interview and then shared with you. Why? Because I believe everyone has a different path to high performance. And hearing about the paths that other professionals have journeyed along is informative and it's inspiring. During each episode of High Performance Pathways, it is my intent to do five things for you, the listener. Number one, connect. Connect you to someone else to build relationships. Number two, question to understand. Number three, share to raise perspective. Number four, teach to increase competence. And number five, inspire. Inspire you to trigger your growth. One additional note to cover as you continue listening. Hey, this podcast is raw, meaning there's no post-production editing. We record live and we deliver the content to you exactly as it was recorded. Now, I'm stoked about my guest today because she's a close friend of mine that I've worked with, I've seen grow, and she's pretty daggone incredible. Her name is Becca Harrison, and Becca's the manager of product success at Teamworks, a software company out of Durham, North Carolina. Teamworks partners with over 3,000 teams in college and professional sport, and Teamworks is the leading athlete engagement platform in the industry. At work, Becca's responsible for a number of success stories and projects to include, number one, she's rebuilt culture within her very own team, which we all know is hard to do. Number two, she's driving the net promoter score up year over year, as great as 42%. Number three, she supervises, she mentors, and she coaches the direct reports that she has within her team that she manages. Number four, she's the she co-founded and she currently chairs the Teamworks Experience Committee. Number five, she oversees the sales to customer success handoff process within the company. Number six, she's responsible for analysis and she tracks customer engagement. And finally, as a manager, she's responsible and has spent a lot of time in recruiting and hiring and onboarding new employees to her team, which... Any of us out there that have certainly done that work knows how hard and how important it is, you know, when you open the door to your company to bring in somebody new. I think it's also really important to note here that with Teamworks, Becca was employee number 11. And that gives you a little bit of context into the organization in which she served. She's, she's been in a startup really at the very early ages. So she's watched it grow over time from in its infancy uh, as an incredible idea with a very small collection of clients in this software startup world to where Teamworks exists today. Over 3,000 clients 
worldwide in pro sport and college sport. So more about Brecca. Prior to serving at Teamworks, Becca was an athletics compliance graduate assistant at Purdue University, where she earned her Master's of Science in Recreation and Sports Administration. She also served as an eligibility center intern with the NCAA. You see, Becca graduated from Morris College with a Bachelor of Science in Business Administration and a minor in Public Relations and Organizational Communication. She's the recipient, and she's going to hate me saying this, but I'm going there anyway. She's the recipient of the 2012 James E. Pizzini Award, which since 1990 is awarded for service that contributes to the Morris College Athletic Department, both academically and socially, displaying community service and leadership, and has performed above and beyond all of the expectations. Becca's currently an executive MBA candidate at the UNC Keenan Flagger School of Business. Becca, thanks for being here. So excited to have you to talk about high performance together today. I'm pumped to be with you, Court. Yeah, you are. I know you are. It's great. <laughs> it's great to it's great to get together. It's great to reconnect. And uh, I'm just so thankful that you're willing to share some of your insights, some of your experience with our listeners out there because you know, there's a lot of there's a lot of men and women out there that that are just like you, right? They're 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 they've been in the game for a little bit, right? Um, they've seen a lot of stuff, they've had success, they've managed, you know. And uh, I just think there's a lot of insight that uh, you can impart to the folks that we have that are that are chasing high performance out there with their life, just like you. To get rolling here though together, I just I think it's really important that the folks dialed in have a little bit of insight into who you are beyond the manager, right? And I know that we've spent some time uh, hiking the Appalachian Trail together, um, you know, and doing some fun stuff. Certainly, we had the time we spent together at Teamworks when I was there. Um, and what I've learned a lot about you is that you just have an incredible love for music. And I want to start kind of there with music. So I know you sing in your church choir and that music is really a critical part of your life. Hell, it's a critical part of my life. And I think a lot of people are drawn to music. But for you, what is it about music that, that inspires you? Yeah, I think music is a way for me to connect with my emotions and how I feel at any given moment. It's just so versatile and can allow you to escape from reality and really just take a break from, from life or, you know, embrace life and really appreciate what's going on in life. And I think music can be inspirational. It's something that can pump you up for the day or a big event or a road trip. It can give you energy. And, you know, from a church singing and church choir perspective, it allows me to connect with something bigger, um, bigger in life. And I think the other part, though, is just other times it allows you to process deep emotions and just connect with how you're feeling and let it go. And I think it's, the interesting uh, interesting thing about music is just I can hear songs that I may not have heard in years and still remember the lyrics like I sang them yesterday, but I can't even remember what I did a week ago. And so, you know, music is just something that really sticks with you and it's, it, you highlighted on it too. It's a way to connect people um, in the world. Absolutely. I was listening to you there and you're like, you know, I, I can remember what the heck was going on when I listened to a song, but I can't remember what happened to me yesterday. Um, so, so funny. Um, I think some of the songs that came to mind for me that I just love, uh, I will never release my affection for eye of the tiger by survivor <laughs> because I was an incredible 
Rocky fan, right? Like every, every, every daggone Rocky, you know, I mean, I, I got to, if, if I could tip my hat to two people that were significantly impactful to my development and my trajectory into the army, it was Sylvester Stallone, the Rocky series, and we can't forget the Rambo series, right? And I got to say, Arnold Schwarzenegger and all the work that he did mm -hmm. around as a soldier. So anyway, that's where my mind went when we talked about music. That's kind of just timeless and, and always there. Um, what are the top three songs on your playlist right now that you're jamming to? Yeah, it's, um, it's a trick question a little bit. So if I was being honest, I'd probably tell you I've been listening to a lot of classical and there's um i'm preparing to sing in a choral um performance in a couple of weeks so rudder requiem which is probably not something that anyone listening will know about but i'm um, a lot of classical and choral, choral music because of that but in real life when i'm either getting pumped up or just a little bit more in tune with music from these days i would i would say feel good by um which is featuring dia courage by pink and poetry by rabble all right why those songs? And hold on, before, uh, you before, know, hold, on, hold on, before you answer that, yeah. right? I, I, you said, hey, if I'm being honest, right? Damn, we want you to be honest, right? I mean, so let's go. <laughs> you introduced that you're, you're going to, you're about to sing somewhere? Yeah, in a, um, it's a combined like church choral uh, performance in I think two or three weeks um, yeah. to sing. Yeah. Yeah, it, but, it'll be good. I haven't done something like that in a while, but I'm, and also I listen to a lot of music at work. So like choral music or classical music is good background music when I don't need to really be paying attention to the song. Or if I put on songs at work that I know I end up getting distracted because I want to sing along. So, um, <laughs> you know, my, the, the volume of music I listen to is probably more on the, the classical, like piano type type um side of things but i also appreciate some more current things as well <laughs> well first hey congratulations didn't know about that excited for you. you you can crush it um and i'm with you i mean to the extent that i i used to deliberately play classical music at work because you know for mm -hmm. all of us out there if you're looking for something to get you in the zone mentally science will actually tell us that that's the best music to listen to while at work for cognitive engagement so if you haven't tried it yet jump on the bag wagon and get you some classical yeah. part of your life, part of your music. <laughs> Agreed. All right. Yeah. That's coming from me and Becca, two high performers. <laughs> All right. Um, hey, why those songs? Why Pink? Right? Why, yeah. It's, well, I, um, not, not anything in particular. I go the way I go through music. So two of these were actually uh, Pink and both Rabble. I think I had kind of started to hear about from Jory, who you uh, spoke with a couple of weeks ago, but um, I think I, the way I go through music is I find a couple songs that I really like and then I overplay them and kind of burn myself out and then I move on and those just happen to be the ones I think it, it's interesting because I, I don't necessarily have one favorite artist I just listen to whatever's on Spotify and favorite favorite it and then I just keep coming back to those songs yeah love it all right um, the one that I'm wearing out right now is, is an oldie but goodie it's Roy Jones Jr can't be touched from 2003 <laughs> and it freaking gets me hype right so add that to the classical matter of fact follow that after the classical you'll be freaking right <laughs> all right so i mean i know i know uh i know you're gonna sing here for the chorus and it's got this classical feel to it but do, do you ever stretch outside of that kind of genre uh, and domain you know um 
if you're going to step into a karaoke bar, what's Becca going to pick to rip for the audience? Shoot. So I, um, not quite the solo singer yet. I'm a little, I'm a little shy, but I did do karaoke at the Christmas party last year and did, um, man, I feel like a woman by Shania Twain. So that, that did go over pretty well. I think if I was really going to showcase my talent vocally, I would probably sing a Broadway ballad like Defying Gravity from Wicked, but typically karaoke bars are not the setting for uh, blasting some show tunes. So, um, <laughs> you know, <laughs> that's, I think when I think about how I sing, I excel more on the, the Broadway side of things, not so much the pop singer uh, type type voice, but you know, if you have a couple of drinks, anything can really happen. <laughs> yeah, you're right about that. That's for sure. Except I don't, I don't know if you'll get me up there singing a thing, but uh, would love to see that. Hopefully, we can make it out sometime, and we can get we you. Can, uh, we can do a duet. Yeah, maybe that. Well, maybe we'll do that. Uh, I typically, my my best work in duets, singing and dancing, is typically from dancing, standing there while the beautiful woman dances, right? And that makes me feel great. <laughs> and so, and so, yeah, and I'll do the same for music, right? I'll just stand there and, and maybe I can tap my foot or something and that'll be my contribution. All right. So, hey, thanks for sharing that, Becca. I think it's really important, really, you know, just for folks that are listening right now to get a little bit of insight of kind of who you are, right? Um, mm -hmm. What's you? And I think people can connect and identify with that. And, and that allows us to kind of settle in here together. So, Thanks so much for sharing. Um, but I want to continue here in this moment and, and kind of go back to college uh, for you and your decision to get involved specifically with college athletics as a football manager at Morris College. And then later, kind of as you jumped out of college, it kind of stayed in this sports domain, which I think is really interesting. And I don't know that you were not a college athlete, correct? Correct. Okay, so I think this is really interesting. So here, here it is, Becca, not a college athlete, is, is, is certainly, you know, works as a football manager while in college at a high level, then goes to work with the NCAA, and then as a graduate student at Purdue University. Um, so my question in these moments for you, Becca, is, is what's inspired you to serve in those capacities and in support specifically yeah. to student athletes and sports? Yeah, so... Yeah. So I, um, I think just taking a step back growing up, I was, I was involved pretty heavily in sport, primarily soccer and competitive gymnastics. And I actually made the high school varsity gymnastics team in eighth grade, um, when I was in junior high, but when I hit 10th grade, I kind of had to choose between music, you know, the band chorus theater route and sport and both areas at my high school were really good. So I ended up you know, taking the music route at that point with no regrets. And, you know, it's hard when you have competing interests. But when I look at when I look back on my career so far, a lot of a lot of one of the themes that I think of is just following the signs. So in my senior year of high school, one of my high school gym teachers knew uh, about the football manager opportunity at Maris, which Maris it was only 15 minutes from home. I wasn't ready quite yet to go far away to school. And I said, why not? Um, and just began as a football manager, which I should say the position is essentially like having a part-time job. You're, you're more or less like a student athlete. You're just not active, actively, com you know, competing or practicing, but you're at practices, you're traveling. It's, it's still a really big time demand. And so did that in undergrad and it was just easily one of the highlights for my um for my experience there but i think what inspired me to support student athletes in sport just comes from an intrinsic 
motivation to serve high-performing individuals, teams, and programs. And so, you know, I grew up loving Marist and wanted to be a football manager, and that allowed me to feel like I was part of the team. And I loved, honestly, managing some of the dirty work and just getting in the weeds and allowing the coaches and student-athletes to focus on the game and, and not have to focus on those things behind the scenes. And then when I graduated from Marist, I interned at the NCAA for a year, which what for me was you know, much more about serving collegiate athletics as a whole and working to uphold the integrity of what it means to be a student athlete. And I know this is obviously a controversial topic to say the least right now, but what I can say from firsthand experience is what, that I, when I worked at the NCAA, you know, they, the, the, the individuals there are some of the most caring, selfless, and high-performing individuals that truly care about the student athletes and what they're doing. And so, you know, that allowed, that experience allowed me to experience athletics at a, at a even higher level and then had the opportunity to get to Purdue and actually get much, much more hands-on um, on the ground level with student athletes and staff and coaches. And I think that helped me shape my perspective for what is going on at that, that um, level and exposed me to much more of what life is like at a power five level because Maris was obviously um, a much smaller school. And so I think the bottom line for me has always been looking for ways to remove friction and serve high performers. And I'm inspired by working with and for high performers who just work hard and always want to get better. And it really just so happens that the concentration of elite performance, elite performers in sport is pretty high. So it's definitely an environment that keeps me motivated and challenged. That's an incredible story because here we are, we're starting off with this incredible passion for music to the extent that you're actually going to be singing in a couple of weeks, right? Not in the shower, mm-hmm. you know what I'm saying? But, <laughs> but somewhere you're going to be f- performing, right? For others in this mm-hmm. moment. And then, we, and then we transition to, and reflect back on, you know, maybe, you know, a decade later or a decade earlier in college. And it was all about kind of sport to include even your major. And so I guess one of the things I'm really curious about is why, why not study music in college, right? I, yeah, I don't, I was not that talented in music. I think it was much more of a, like a, a hobby or something that I was passionate about, but never, it never crossed my mind to be something that I really wanted to pursue professionally. Um, just cool. something I wanted to keep in my, in my pocket as a hobby. All right. Awesome. Got it. Um, I also want to just highlight the, this incredible call out that you made uh, about what it is to be a, a manager on a division one program um, in college. I mean, you're right. It's like being the athlete. And in some cases I would say it's probably even more demanding the athlete because you got to be there before you got to be there after. Right. Mm -hmm. Uh, So great call out for anybody out there that's working in support of sport and not actually playing anymore. Uh, I can remember I listened to um, a a good friend of mine, uh, Kelsey Brinson, who played at Florida as an incredible softball player and uh, she reflected on when she stopped playing and she actually played pro a little bit and then coached. She was like, holy crap. I thought he had to put a lot of time mm-hmm. in as an athlete. The coaches are killing themselves with the time they're out here. And mm-hmm. I guess the managers are doing the very same. So thank you for sharing that and, and making sure I have that perspective captured correctly. Um, can I talk just a bit about your internship with the NCAA? Because when I hear words like the NCAA, a guy like me, who's just freaking passionate about mm-hmm. sport, fired up, it just seems to be like this place that no one can ever get into, right? Like mm-hmm. it's almost like the word NFL or, or NBA mm-hmm. or NBA. So mm-hmm. is, 
is there any advice that you could share on, on how you were able to to move into that internship with a, a great place like yeah. UCLA? Yeah, it's so I guess it's kind of an interesting story. I my senior year of college, I had obviously been working in the athletic department as a manager, but also doing some other things in athletics. And, but, but by my senior year, I didn't know exactly what I wanted to do. And I vividly remember this point in the fall of, so it would have been the fall of 2011, where I was just looking for jobs, had come across the NCA internship. And I had this moment in my dorm room where I like almost started to cry. I just felt so right. But then you also look at it and you go, how there's no way I'm getting this right. Like there's a 0% chance. This is a huge, huge opportunity. And, um, but you know what, I, I took that and I took it to my career services at the time and said, let's build a resume. Who do I need to get for references? Like worst comes to worst, you don't, you, you get rejected. Right. But it, it's cheesy, but it's like, if you never try, you'll never get it. Right. So I, I threw my hat in the ring and was fortunate enough to obviously get a phone interview and then be flown out there for an in-person interview. And I think the one thing, I don't know if this a hundred percent helped me, but I was, I would say very authentic and um, during the interview process. So one of the questions that stuck out for me and honestly came up a couple times after I was hired was one of the questions that they asked were like, tell me three things that, you know, uh, three of your strengths or three of three things that you, three things you like, I think, I don't remember the exact question, but I was very, you know, typical answer on the first two. It was something like I'm really a great communicator and I'm very organized or whatever it might be. But on the last, the third item, I was like, you know what? I really like hot sauce. It must've been tell me three things about, about you. And I shared that fun fact at the end of it. And I think just being authentic and showing that, yes, I take, you know, work seriously. And I have um, a lot of experience. I'm still going to bring who I am to the table and not just give you all the answers that you want to hear. I want you to also hire me for who I am and make sure that I'm a fit on your team. And so I think that that had come up a couple other times after I was hired. And obviously I don't think that was the only driving force. I would hope not, but I think that that personality and, you know, just ability to connect with others in the room um, helped as well. Yeah, I mean, this is this is beautiful, right? This is a really uh, incredible nugget that you're dropping here in this moment for folks listening. And, and so the first things that I'm hearing from you in this that I, that I want people to pay attention to is that if something feels so right, I mean, Becca just recounted the fact when she came across this opportunity, she almost started to cry, right? There was an emotional reaction to an opportunity professionally that you're able to pursue. And so, I mean, if that's happening for you and something right now that you're considering as a listener, you got to pay attention to that. Allow that to lead you. And the second thing that Becca said was, then you just got to rip it. You just got to try, right? Don't get out of your own damn way, right? And, and, and that's what you did. And I think those, that's really <laughs> solid kind of perspective and advice for people because I think we all have these things that show up for us, maybe not every day, but certainly throughout our experience. And then <laughs> I love this idea that you feel like, you know, when you're in the interview and it was time to perform, um, you stepped into your authenticity. Certainly you were prepared. Um, and then you talked about this hot sauce fun fact, which is incredible. And I'm guaranteed they didn't hire you because you love hot sauce. <laughs> but what they probably hired you for, and this is really important, is you were memorable. Mm-hmm. 
And I don't, I don't know. Did you, did you prepare to say hot sauce, or did it just come? No. To you? <laughs> right. I had. They had like given us. They had given us breakfast, and I think that I had put some hot sauce on my eggs. And honestly, I am usually pretty conservative and wouldn't normally wouldn't normally say something like that. And I remember after thinking, what just came out of my mouth? Like, <laughs> but you know what? It, it, it all worked out. So. <laughs> yeah, but but this is an important point too, right? Because it's almost yeah. like I'm, I'm not. I'm not encouraging folks here to over-prepare with some ridiculousness, to, to, to have a right. ridiculous story just to be memorable. This goes back to authenticity, right? And I coach a lot mm -hmm. of people in transition. That's what I do. And a lot of what we talk about in some cases is what happens in the interview. And I'm always telling people that people remember stories, right? Mm -hmm. And people remember, hey, 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 there's hot sauce Becca. I don't know if that's what they called you, but that's what they, I'm, I'm dubbing that term right now. All right. Hey, let's continue for a moment here. I'm going to talk about transition okay. really for you, right? Uh, and transition uh -huh. from working at Purdue as the GA, getting your master's, and then into Teamworks, right? And that's where mm -hmm. we met each other a number of years ago. And what I think is really interesting here is that you were one of those really early hires. I still remember being walking the Appalachian Trail with Teamworks CEO and co-founder Zach Maritas, and, uh, and he was recounting kind of the early days of Teamworks for me when we were together when I was serving in his, as his leadership coach. And he said, you know what? There's some people that we hired that we got right really early, and you were one of those names. Mm -hmm. And so can you talk to me about why you decided to join Teamworks when you transitioned out of Purdue? Yeah, so, and just to take a step back and kind of talk about how, you know, how did I get to Teamworks and where did it cross my path? So I, when I was at Purdue, I was kind of on the track of thinking that I wanted to be potentially in compliance. I knew my skill set was, you know, pretty organized, supporting people, educating people, um, you know, maybe rules oriented or at least, you know, like building, building process or whatnot. So I had I, I kind of knew what my skill set was, but I think being on campus for me, it just it, in, in that role, I, I think halfway through, I knew it wasn't going to be the path. I, I loved being in sport, but just kind of missed the blend of being in more of a business type setting like the NCAA. And so when we had when I first started at Purdue in 2013, we had just purchased Teamworks department wide and we're one of the first departments to do so. And I was the point person for helping get it initially up and running. And so I had exposure to the product and the, the great customer service. And it just felt like a place I could see myself working and another opportunity to learn and grow while still being in sport. And so when I was at Purdue, and this was honestly one of the best pieces of advice that I've gotten along my journey is I had an honest conversation with my manager at Purdue, who was absolutely wonderful and, and said, you know, I don't think this is the, this is the path for me. And, you know, he explained, this is the advice, like, sometimes you have to do things you don't want to do to get where you want to go um, because I wasn't, you know, super happy at the time, but he was, by having that honest conversation and being transparent, he was able to help me get, get connected to Teamworks. And so I, you know, to be honest, like it felt like the right thing at the time. I don't think there were, I, I can't tell you five different reasons why I came down here. I think, you know, when you're, when you're, I think I was 24 ish at the time, I was ready to just try something new. And when I started, I honestly thought I was coming into a company of maybe 20, 25 people. Uh, didn't really do my due diligence there to ask the number of people. Uh, but, it, you know, it all worked out. Came in uh, at 11, and it's, it's been a great journey since. And so did, did, that, did that answer everything? Did I yeah. forget something? No, absolutely. <laughs> uh, there's, I mean, there's 
it's it's exactly what you wanted to to share in that moment and i'm just going to highlight the fact that for you um two things that stuck out for me one was sometimes you just got to try it and then decide it and and if you have that acceptance in this case we're talking about opportunities right opportunities to do something different opportunities to pivot in your profession and and you said as as the GA at Purdue that was your trying experience and in that moment you, you decided very rapidly that hey it's not going to go beyond this for me even though this was my major this was kind of my focus it's 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 not right and the, the honest conversation that you had, one, and that I give kudos to you for that with your manager, and I give kudos to the manager that allowed you to, you know, feel safe in that conversation to, to say it's not right. And then mm -hmm. that whoever that person was, clearly you have an affinity for them, but this is a quality of a super boss. A super boss does not, you know, I, I guess the right word here is a super boss does not kind of give their folks a hard time if they want to do something else. This person helped you, mm -hmm. right? And, mm -hmm. and therefore, that you, you grow as an extension of their network. So I think that's really incredible. And then, you know, just having the faith. Um, and again, you, you're typing in, you're tapping into, I think, uh, a visceral gut reaction again for us here, not only for when you had the chance to go to the NCAA to intern, but now with Teamworks, you said, it just kind of felt like it was right. And then once you got there, though, maybe you could have done a little bit more research, right? And I guarantee you'll do that as you move forward. So let's, let's continue a, a conversation about Teamworks, you know, and, and here you are. You said you thought there'd be about 20 people and you really just gave us a small tease. And you said, in fact, it was not, right? You've been there five mm -hmm. years now, right? You've clearly been mm -hmm. there from the early stages. You've probably had a lot of exposure to what startup challenges look like, what you know, how you know, probably had a lot of successes. I mean, the company's still still banging, still going, and I think they're mm -hmm. doing incredible stuff from process to culture. What advice, Becca, would you have for someone who's going to go step into a startup? How much time do you have, Court? It'll <laughs> be, a, be a two or three hour podcast if I shared everything, but I think I'll give you the top three that I have. And obviously, if anyone wants to connect offline and talk a little bit more about what I've learned, I'm more than happy to do that. Uh, the first would be embracing change. So I think to me, this means keeping your expectations flexible and being willing to be a catalyst for change and to drive momentum within the organization. You have to, in a startup environment, keep your feet moving. And when we, how we operated when we were 11 people is vastly different than how we're operating at 100 people now. And so what I've enjoyed about being in this environment is just having the ability to build and iterate on processes and strategies over and over as we've evolved and just having that hunger and never losing the how do we get better mentality. So if that's the type of person you are or the environment you thrive in, a startup environment could be could be the right spot. And then the second point would be burning yourself out is not the answer to success. So I learned this one the hard way. And this is there's always something you can do in a startup, you will never get through your task list. And then you'll keep having things added to your plate, um, new ideas, new things you have to do new challenges. And so you have to learn how to take care of yourself and learn how to set boundaries and just properly prioritize and then know how to communicate your priorities. Because when you know how to communicate your priorities, you know how to say, know to certain things so you don't get caught up in, um, in, in a million little things. And so learning how to deeply understand priorities and how they ladder up to company goals has created much more focus for me and much more balance in my life in general. And 
the third third thing I would say is learning how to have grace with yourself and others. So many times uh, in startups, everyone from the top to the bottom is learning how to do this, aka build a company and and doing it for the first time. And you, you eventually, we obviously have hired people that have done this type of stuff before, but at the end of the day, we're, at least at Teamworks, we're the first, you know, tech company, um, you know, leading athlete engagement platform in the sports industry. We're, you know, kind of establishing something as brand new here. And so what I've had to learn is how to embrace failure and how to fail forward and just learn to have grace with myself and others when things get screwed up. And I think if you would have asked me this question a couple of years ago, I would have said, I'm a perfectionist. And I think that's a really great trait. And I honestly think perfectionism can be paralyzing and I've learned to loosen up, which has allowed me to be more agile in my approach. And, um, you know, I know that I may stumble, but I think knowing that we're all humans and we're learning and we're trying to figure it out every day is really important. And that doesn't mean that doesn't mean do things sloppy or don't have high standards or don't pay attention to the details. It just means like don't get caught up in the little things that can slow you down and know when to move on and be okay with not having all the answers before you make a decision. Mm. What a great reflection. And uh, what resonated with me in your sharing on that was, first of all, great advice. Um, But there's two things that really jumped out to me. And I'm going to start with not where you started, but rather where you ended here around this theme of learning to have grace with yourself and others. And you talked about this trait within yourself that, that, hey, I'm, I'm probably a perfectionist. And I'll tell you what, Becca's a perfectionist. Right. I mean, I, I know her. She's very detail oriented. She's a process girl. She's 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 going to dot all the T's. I mean, no, she's not. She's going to dot all the I's, cross all the T's. <laughs> Definitely not going to dot a T. I'll tell you that much. But, but the beautiful part of this reflection is that you, you had you stepped into some self-awareness here and you basically said that I, I need to change. My mm-hmm. behavior and my outlook because it, it's going to paralyze me. And I'm just going to introduce anyone listening. There's a, there's, and this is an incredible strength, Rebecca. That's why she was recruited to do what she does. That's why she's groomed to do what she does. But too much of a good thing, y'all, can be a bad thing. So have an awareness of your blind spots and know that you have the power to shift your behavior if you want to get a different result for whatever you're doing at work outside of work. So that's the one thing I wanted to call out uh, just because I think it's really powerful and your real example allowed me to highlight that in this moment. The second thing is that I think a ton of people have a really hard time saying no, right? Mm -hmm. We feel like the boss is asking me to do something. I got to say no, right? But I'll tell you what, Mm -hmm. from the cultures that I've worked in that are incredibly high performing, it's not a bunch of bobbleheads saying no, Mm Or, or saying yes, you actually have to step mm-hmm. in and know. And for some folks that have a hard time doing that, consider this. Say yes, but not now. Because mm-hmm. guess what? You're actually saying no. But you're saying mm-hmm. it in a very positive way. And that allows you to say, hey, yes, Jeff, I'm going to take care of that for you, but not now. Because it's not a priority for me right now. So if you can grab some time on my calendar and we can talk about that, we're going to, we'll address that or let me know, you know, when it needs to get done, we can, we can get that done. So anyone else that's struggling with, with prioritization or, or always, oh man, my task list is so big. 
embrace some and step into some assertiveness in those moments. So thank you, Becca, for the opportunity to highlight those things from kind of what you recounted there from an advice place. And you know, for someone that's really considering or has an opportunity to, to be part of a startup, and the three things that Becca leaves you with here is, number one, embrace change if you're considering that work. You know, don't burn yourself out and learn how to have grace with yourself and others. So thanks, Becca, for sharing that. I think really important. Mm -hmm. Let's continue now with a conversation about my love, which is high performance, right? And it's, it, it's clear to me that you've performed at a very high level to date in your career. Um, and I define high performance pretty simply. It's success and desired results above established norms over the long term. And, you know, I'm curious though, because this episode is not about me. And it, it's, it's, I bring people on here deliberately because I think, like I said, everyone has a different path to high performance. And therefore, I think people all define it differently. So I'm curious, in your own words, Becca, how would you define high performance? Yeah, I think it's an, individ an individual's ability to consistently challenge the status quo, to stay hungry in the pursuit of excellence, and inspire others to do the same by leading the way. And I think, you know, just to build upon that a little bit, I think that high performance also means just crushing the small things in life. Like, are you a person that when no, what do you do when no one is watching? Do you change the toilet paper or paper roll when it's empty? Do you take five extra minutes to edit an email or do you just send it? Like high performance to me means caring about all the little details in life because I think it adds up to those big things. So, you know, I think it, it I think high performance can change. I think everyone has a season and has different priorities and that's okay. And those can be flexible, but are you consistently looking at the things that you're doing in your life and challenging yourself and potentially others to be better? Golly, I hate it when the toilet paper roll is empty. I'm like, come on, man. Are you kidding me? I crushed my nine and 10 year old. Hey, hey guys. And so, I mean, it's kind of laughable, but guess what? It's not. Why the heck do I yell at my kids for not doing that? I'm going to tell you yeah. right now. It's not because I'm lazy. It's not because I don't want to do it. It's for exactly what you just hit on. It's because the small things matter. Mm -hmm. right? They all matter. And so sharing back def the definition Becca gave us here, this great gift on how she defines high performance, and, and I hope I'll get this right, Becca, but please correct me if I'm wrong, but you shared out that high performance to you is the ability to consistently challenge the status quo to stay hungry in the pursuit of excellence and to inspire others by leading the same way. Is that right? Mm -hmm. They get it? Mm -hmm. All right. Yeah. I think it's phenomenal. It. <laughs> All right. Well, um, wonderful definition. I hope folks can, can walk away with that and, and add to kind of their outlook uh, on when they want to do things at a really high level. Um, but let's go back here to inspiration, right? We talked about music and its inspiration in your life. Um, what has kind of inspired you to be this high performer? It's honestly, I love this question, but it's also kind of hard for me because I think it's, it's innate for me. I, I'm an intrinsically motivated person and I've never really had to think about how do I motivate myself or how do I achieve at a high level? It's just something I naturally do. I think what continues to fuel me are just life experiences and reflection. So, you know, doing our, our hikes together, um, having some, you know, some life tragedies and things come up family wise and 
going to church and listening to the sermons at church and just, you know, really realizing that we, we all literally have one life to live for however long we get it. We don't get to control that. And I just don't want to waste a second. And so, you know, becoming obsessed, a little obsessive over just how am I spending my time? Is it valuable? Am I, am I challenging the status quo? Because I don't want to ever have to look back and feel like, well, I could have done better if I had just started, you know, two years, two years ago or five years ago. And I think at the end of the day, for me, it's more, it's more than just being about personal achievement. Obviously through being a high performer, you achieve things personally, but it's, it's about figuring out how I can better serve people and have a bigger impact on the world. So, you know, I think bottom line is it's just natural to me. I think one of the things just as a, maybe a point of uh, feedback or advice is take time to reflect. I, I naturally am an introvert. So I need that time to myself just to recharge regardless of whether I'm intentionally reflecting or not. But I think, taking some time for yourself to think about where you're going, where you've come from, what you've learned is incredibly important to shaping high performance as well. Absolutely. Because I think when we look back along our journey, there's stuff there that will inform our future path. But if you're anything like me, you typically don't spend a lot of time in the moment as those things happen, unpacking it. So Mm -hmm. And I think I'm, I'm kind of blown away by so many people that I have on here that perform at a high level and that address their inspiration. And I, I got to say, it's upwards of the 80% or more. They're just inspired by, by servant and service to others. And I heard that. Mm-hmm. Um, so thanks a lot for just kind of recounting what's, what's driving you there, what's motivating you there to, to do the great stuff that you're doing. I want to talk now a little bit about uh, a bit more tactical, not that you haven't given, mm-hmm. given some great tactical insight to the way that you do things uh, for our listeners, but I have, I have a, a, a large following of folks that just kind of want to, want to know, well, what do you, how do you do it, right? What, what mm-hmm. habits, you know, what habits are part of uh, the way you do things? And so could you share out for the listeners, maybe two, three, four, five, if you got them, habits that you've adopted? Mm-hmm you know, that enable you to do things really well. Absolutely. So I think starting with connection and faith. So going back to, and, you know, I'm talking a lot about church and stuff on here, and it's not about, I want to make it clear, it's not about like everyone needs to go to church to to be a high performer. That is not my message. It's something that works for me. But, you know, I think that's such an individual thing. I think the bottom line for me going back to church is that it helps me center myself around something bigger in life, but you can definitely find other ways to do that. Um, But it has also enabled me to build a community outside of work and establish relationships that aren't only within the walls of Teamworks, which has been super healthy for me. I think, you know, one of the things about being in a startup is I've absolutely loved the people that I work with, but I haven't taken the time since I've been here for almost five years, honestly, for the first probably four years to meet people outside of work. And it, 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 you know, I have a ton of friends here, but it was important for me to establish myself and my identity outside of just being at teamwork. So make sure that you're building connections with others and, you know, looking, looking at the bigger picture of life and what you're working towards. And so that would be number one. And then I think the second one would be prioritizing myself just from a, like, I try to go to bed by 
nine, nine thirty every day. I do get up at, I've started to get up at five thirty to get some schoolwork done early in the morning. Cause my mind is just much more fresh, but people preach this, you know, get sleep, take care of yourself, find ways to keep learning. But it's, it's true. It, there's no secret sauce. You have to just have kind of that personal accountability and drive to say, I'm going to build this habit. I'm going to get up earlier. I'm going to go to bed late at night and, and hold yourself accountable. And so that is something that's, that's definitely helped me. Um, and it doesn't mean going, going overboard. Like I, I'm happy if I can get 20 minutes on the Peloton in or a 20 minute jog in, I'm not trying to over, like for me, that's still high performing because it's keeping me holistically going. Um, so I think you have to remember that high performance doesn't mean I go to the gym and I work out for 60 minutes. And if I don't do more than, if I do less than 60 minutes, I'm not high performing. It's about the little, like, like I said before, the little things add up. So prioritizing myself, um, would be the second one. And then I, you know, I just, just highlighted on this one above, but I think the, the reflection piece, and I would lump in, you know, reading and just finding ways to learn and grow, um, thinking through how my actions, and this might be as simple as like, I led a meeting today and I did this really well, but I know I can improve these three areas, right? It's not, it's not always this big reflection on my life and where it's going. It's, it's those little things in the moment that if you become more intentional about thinking through them, you can then correct them the next time. And so I think those would kind of be the three, three little nuggets I would share right now. I love it. Uh, great nuggets here. And I got to tell you, I, I've got, I got four, I got four big rocks, not three little nuggets, right? <laughs> the first thing I got is break them out. Yeah, I'm gonna break them out, right? And you talked about <laughs> faith, right? And I, I think this is really incredibly inspiring. I, mean, I heard Lou Holtz, the legendary coach speak about and the word he used is, is belief. Like everybody's mm-hmm. going to have something to believe in. And I'll tell you what, this is a foundational aspect to resiliency. This is the foundational aspect to an ability to bounce back because setback is coming for mm-hmm. all of us. If you're listening right now and everything in your life is perfect, well, call me up, right? I want to hear how that happens because I think everyone is carrying some sort of a cross in their life and, and they can let them weigh their ass down or they, or they jack that thing up on their back and they say, let's get it. And I think that's because mm-hmm. of what Becca talked about here. You're believing in something greater than yourself. And for her, it's God. Guess what? For me, it is too, right? Someone's got my back, even if everything else is falling apart. But to, to Becca's call out, it may not be that for you, and that's okay. But there's something you believe in. Family, environmentalism, there's a cause. Maybe you just want to have incredible financial success. Well, that drives you to be resilient. And that helps people just like Becca perform at a higher level. So that's number one, right? And I'm just going to say something to believe in, faith. Faith Mm -hmm. in something. Number two, Becca talked about connection. And she talked specifically about, in her experience, this need to connect outside of teamwork. I mean, but heck, Becca was in the grind, number 11 in a startup. You know, she's doing 60, 70 hour work weeks. And she's saying, I, came, I got this awareness that I got to connect beyond that. And I think what I was hearing in that is interpersonal relationship is critical for your ability to, provide, to perform at a high level. It's this holistic approach. It may not be that unique interpersonal relationship in the workplace, although Becca has that for her. You may find that outside of the workplace, but you got to have it to perform at a high level. The third thing I heard yeah. is just, go ahead. One, one thing I would say just off of that court is I... I am someone that 
probably in the last few years since I moved away from home and, um, you know, been out on my own, have thought, I'm independent. This is great. I can do it all by myself. I can, I can handle all of life's things. You know, like, obviously, I'm not, I wasn't completely isolated, but I was not intentionally building relationships. And I can say that's easily one of the most transformative things that I've had, you know, that I've come across this year. And it's really just been through, um, through my faith, um, and through, and through, you know, listening to sermons at work and understanding that it's really about people in life. It's not necessarily about all the materialistic things that you can have. Um, and so, you know, I, I guess the point there is just like, you can't do it alone. Um, it doesn't mean you need, you need 500 friends, but if you're trying to do something alone, having a support system is really important. And that's the key to it. It's the support you get from it. I mean, mm-hmm. it's phenomenal, right? Um, and heck, I, yesterday I was in Chicago and I presented on high performance to about 350 people at uh, Merrill, uh, a Bank of America company. And I got a text message from my mom. And I'm in my 40s, y'all. I got a text message from my mom <laughs> in the morning that said, hey, Court, good luck. You're going to crush it. And so that's what we're talking about. So in my case, it's coming even from within my immediate family, right? So right. again- I love the fact that we marinated on this because it means it's important, but recounting the top five habits for Becca, number one, belief. Number two, interpersonal relationship. Number three, self-care is the word I took away from her theme of prioritizing myself, investing time in self-care. And number four, reflection. And in you, in the meaning you made in that reflection, it was it's a purpose built reflection to figure out even if I did something well, what can I do better next time? So it's with an intentionality to learn, to perform mm-hmm. again in the future. So, Becca, great, love it. Obviously, y'all, you can tell I'm fired up. I love this crap. <laughs> and, uh, Becca got me rolling. All right, so let's let's progress a little bit here in the conversation around high performance. You're a manager. You're managing now. You've been managed. We all have been, right? And, and I have a, a lot of folks on here just like you that are managing or on the verge of managing or want to manage. And all of us that are working have been managed. So there, there's an awareness of this, but I have a unique perspective on, on how I define management. And management for me is simply the supervision of people and projects in order to accomplish tasks, missions, and assignments. And then we have this word leadership that always creeps into this space. And, and I, I think leadership and management, they're not synonymous. Leadership for mm-hmm. me is defined simply in the word influence. And I believe that to be a high-performing manager, you must also be an effective, positive influence on the people and the projects you're responsible for. I know in my life, I have been just a manager. I know I've mm-hmm. also had an opportunity to be a high-performing manager, and I think that's where I want to inspire everyone to be. So, Becca, kind of given my framework, given kind of my foothold on how I differentiate leadership and management, I'm curious, because of your experience, you know, what habits have you discovered? What habits have you maybe sawn? Sawn. Great word, Court. What habit have you <laughs> seen, right, um, in others that, that you would say, this is what a high-performing manager looks like? Yeah, absolutely. So I, 
the first theme is around just care, vulnerability, and connection. So those things are not soft. It's essential in the workplace. And I think it's okay to be a real human at work. And, you know, we spend, what, a half of our life? I don't know what the real statistic is, but a ton of time at work. And I think we're seeing more and more this need for the ability to care, like, managers to be able to care and connect with their employees. And that doesn't mean inappropriately. It doesn't mean don't have boundaries, but it means building that trust. And I, I think Jory actually mentioned this on the podcast with you. Like, this is the foundation for trust. It it, it doesn't mean that you not, aren't going to have to challenge your employees or have difficult conversations or, you know, make difficult decisions. But what I can tell you is those co- challenging conversations and situations become easier when you feel like you're invested in the relationship and the people that are, you know, on the other side of the table are in the room with you. And so I think those, that theme of care, vulnerability, and connection with your people, it comes number one, because you can't, you can't build an effective team or, um, you know, grow someone's career if you, if you don't necessarily connect or care about them. And so, that that's the first theme. And then the second one is challenge. So I think a manager or a leader needs to be able to question and push their teammates and company to be better. It's, it's just easier when you, I, I think when you care, again, you're going to go back to this theme of care and connection. Um, you'll hear me say it a million times, probably when your team knows you care, it becomes less personal when you need to challenge them. So I know in my situation, um, you know, like if I, feel like someone doesn't care about me. If you want to give me feedback or you want to challenge me, I tend to be more defensive because I, I'm questioning whether you care about me. If I should, am I, should I be threatened? Like, you know, it, it can be unclear. So I think and a manager needs to be able to challenge their people, but to be able to do that effectively and be successful, you need to start with that foundation of, of trust and, and connection. And then the next one I would have is just empower empowerment of employees so i think managers have to show their show their team the way and intentionally give them opportunities to stretch outside of their um their limits and their comfort zone and learn from failure and promote their wins and that doesn't mean micromanage or give teams all the answers i think it you know in a startup in in this case it can be very hard to find time to intentionally empower people because we're all even as managers like player coaches we're all doing doing a lot as well as trying to step out outside of you know executing and and thinking forward so i think one thing i've done is taken some time to quote unquote study my teammates really try to understand their personalities work styles motivations like where do they want to go so that i can then empower them and cater to their need, cater to their needs in small ways and keep keep them progressing and mm. Mm. The, the, I love that. I'm stepping I just love it. Like, I, I don't know that I've heard it that way before. I mean, just recounting here, Becca says that she's worked really hard to study her teammates' strengths, mm-hmm. values, behaviors, personality. This stuff is phenomenal. Please continue. Yeah. Well, and I think it, before my last point, I think that's my goal as a as a manager or a leader, right? I'm managing people to help them grow. So that's part of my job is thinking about them, not just thinking about the business. Um, And so, you know, I think it it doesn't mean I spend hours every week studying them like a playbook, but I intentionally take time to, to, you know, either ask them questions about their preferences or in some cases they've shared, you know, we've, we've done the disc assessments together or the, um, the five, the five 
uh, uh, gosh, what is it? Do you know what I'm talking about? Absolutely. I got I, you, girl. Right. Remember, yeah, I know, I can't, with I'm you. blanking right yeah. now. <laughs> so I think what you're saying is, is you may be considering the, the five leadership strengths. Is that right? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. The five yeah, leadership strengths. We've done some of that, but anyway, I'm, 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 I digress a little bit. I think, you know, just taking the time to, to understand them is important. And the last one I was just going to highlight on is, is listening and serving. Um, you know, I think, our people are in the weeds and really know the company pain points. And this is something that I've really reflected on the last year is how do I ask the right questions and then sit back and listen. And I can probably find out like 90% of what I need to know or what the challenges are or what the pain points are or what's going really well. And then I can identify those themes across what people are saying so I can better serve and grow the team and the company. And so I think, as a manager, it's not my responsibility to have all the answers or to be the talker. It's to get people, it's to get my people speaking up so then um, I can understand really what's going on. Love it. Love it. Great stuff here. So according to Becca, when she's reflecting on the, the habits of a high-performing manager, here are the four that she wants to leave with you. Number one, you got to care. And that comes from a place from vulnerability and her experience because this allows you to connect with the people on your team. Number two, be a challenger. Number three, empower the team. And number four, listen and, and serve. Love it. Good stuff. Great stuff here. Let's continue, right? Let's talk more about this, this great work you're doing <laughs> manager, right? And so, you know, and I want to step into a minute here, um, mindset mindset specifically for you and we're talking positive mindset we're talking about a high performing mindset so how does this high performing mindset that you clearly have enable you to achieve those results you're looking for i i think my mindset is and i think well i think i'm comfortable and i've had to get really comfortable with being uncomfortable quickly um and i think that's a solid part of the reason why I was able to, or have not just me personally, I shouldn't say I, um, that myself and the team and Sarah, who's another manager on the team, were able to improve the, the team culture uh, in the last year was because, you know, we deeply care about the team and the company and want to listen to the good and the bad and really just got comfortable with being uncomfortable. And I think as a manager and someone that's you know, wants to be a high performer as a high performer, you have to be okay with being uncomfortable and, and sitting in that. Like, it doesn't mean, oh, I'm uncomfortable for a minute. Let me fix it two seconds later because I don't like it. It means being uncomfortable for sustained periods of time and being okay with it. And so um, I think that that's really just helped me achieve. Um, and I think I've taken a lot of time to, in the last, you know, two and a half years or so to just you highlighted on self-reflection and, and being self-aware. And I've, I've had to do that intentionally. I've had to read a lot. Um, I've read, I think, two of the books I was going to highlight, just Radical Candor by Kim Scott and Dare to Lead by Brene Brown and, and many more just to internalize ideas from other people because um, I can't figure this out on my own. And so I think between that and working with um, my mentors to kind of help me point out my strengths, but also what my blind spots may be, I've been able to uh, achieve at a high level. Love it. Love it. And mindset, it's, it's so important. And I appreciate you just reflecting in this moment with 
um, a question I think that's hard sometimes to wrap our head around and, and sharing out your mindset with everyone is really important. And I think that helps me really transition in this moment to a question that I think mindset is such an important piece in answering. And I want to talk about for a moment as a manager um, and maybe even prior to being a manager, because I think this, this, this shows up for everyone. Um, and it is the difficult conversations that we're supposed to have. And, and, and I wish you could see me right now because in, I'm doing air quotes <laughs> around the words difficult uh -huh. conversation. I think we all kind of understand what a difficult conversation is, but let me share a definition with you um, that I hold for difficult conversations. And it is this, and I quote, a difficult conversation is the conversation that I need to have or the conversation that I will have that scares me, end quote, right? And so you, mm -hmm. can, you, can, you can make meaning in that however you'd like to, but I'm specifically focused here on the workplace. And Becca, I'm curious, right? Uh, managers have difficult conversations or managers mm -hmm. have to of a difficult conversation. Heck, I coach a ton of folks that can't step into a difficult conversation, right? Because they're difficult, right? They're not easy. Mm -hmm. But to be a mm -hmm. high-performing manager, you got to do this well. So I'm curious, how have you dealt with difficult conversations to date in your career? And if so, what advice can you give to folks listening right now that are fearful or are avoiding yeah. that difficult conversation? You do have to have difficult conversations, and I think the the key point is you. The longer the, that you wait, the I guess like the worse the effect it has, or or you're not nipping it in the bud soon enough, right? So it's difficult conversations. The closer that they can happen to the actual like situation happening or whatever it might be, the quicker you can start to work on a solution or a plan or put something in place to improve it. If hopefully you can improve it. I know that's not always, not always the case, but I think the bottom line up front is the truth will set you free. And it doesn't always feel good to have difficult conversations. Obviously that's why people are avoiding them, but carrying the thought around of knowing you need to have a difficult conversation is not helping you and it's not helping anyone else. And so I think what I can tell you is that I 100% struggled with this a lot in the past and I'm, I'm still working on it. Um, very much so, but I, even if I, you know, difficult conversations, I, I, um, trying to think of the best way to say this, like, I'm not afraid to just have the conversation, even if I am not a hundred percent, like prepared for it. Sometimes you just have to walk in and have the conversation. Now that doesn't mean don't prepare for a conversation and have your, um, stuff together. But I think, you waiting to have a perfect moment is never going to happen as well. And so I think one thing, I, one thing that I think makes difficult conversations easier, it goes back to the whole relationship piece. So with my team, um, because I've been able to build solid relationships, it allows me to approach them with the mindset of like, Hey, listen, I care a lot about you, oh, care a lot about you. I need to have a difficult conversation you know, this is a difficult thing for me to have to talk to you about, but I want to talk to you about X, you know, expressing that you care and that you're calling out that it's difficult for you, but you're, you know, stepping into that or you're leaning in and you're having that conversation, I think pulls down the defenses a little bit. And I think the other thing too to consider is, you know, 
difficult conversations doesn't mean you have all the answers when you go into them. So as someone giving the feedback, I also ask for feedback where I can improve, where I can help, what, um, you know, try to gather information through the difficult conversation. So I don't go into it with like, this is what's going wrong and you need to fix this. It, I try to actually have a conversation because I recognize that I might be addressing something that's difficult, but I may not have all the information. And I think by doing that and then just emphasizing and intentionally, you know, trying to uh, work in opportunities for the person to respond, but also collaborate on hopefully what can be a solution, the easier it will go. It's not, you know, it's not about hurting them. It's not about trying to make it personal. Generally, it's about trying to correct a behavior or correct a situation. It's not about, it's not about them being a bad person. Mm. I love it. Some really good advice here. I think that folks can consider if they're up against a difficult conversation, maybe later today, maybe there's a conversation that they've been avoiding for quite some time. And, and believe me, I've been there. And the anxiety that I get within myself is almost more painful in most cases than actually having the conversation. And, and let's be candid mm -hmm. here. We're not promising. I'm not promising. I don't think Becca's promising that these conversations may not still result in some sort of a pain or discomfort after the fact. But what, what she's saying, what I'm highlighting is that, you know, really is her first point. One, they must happen. Her second point was don't wait because there's an impact when you wait. Number three, there's never a perfect moment for the difficult conversation, so therefore step into it. Number four, having an established solid relationship with the people that you manage ahead of time is mission essential to that difficult conversation going well. And I would say the frequency of your, your willingness to have them. And number four, mm -hmm. Um, I'm sorry, number five here, Becca shared was that, you know, and you didn't use this word, but it's the word that resonated with me. It's a participatory experience. It's not a one-way conversation. And I think that just speaks to the high level of emotional intelligence that you have as a manager, is you have an awareness that, hey, this isn't a one-way conversation because one-way conversations typically don't go out that well, albeit, unless maybe you're firing somebody. And I'd even say that firing somebody should be a participatory two-way conversation. But I think, you know, intentionality behind this question I had uh, for, for Becca was more along the lines of that no one's being fired here, but you definitely have an issue with either a performance gap or a behavioral gap that you want to get corrected. So. Yep. And I think the other thing too is start today highlighting the good things that people are doing. So if and when you need to have a challenging conversation, the first conversation you're having with them isn't like, here are the negative things. So I try to like, and generally a lot of positive things are happening. It's about calling those things out. So then when you have to maybe say something that isn't as pleasant, they're like, that's okay. Like I know she's also called out or he's called out, you know, these other 10 things that I've done well. So this must, must be one thing that I need to fix. Right. So don't forget to focus on the positive. Um, don't just look for the negative and, and call that out. Absolutely. And it's a great call out. And, and not that it was missed here, but just one thing that I would add to it in, in this recounting of, of difficult conversations, things that are really important to allow those to go well. It's exactly what Becca's saying. Make sure you have a regular frequency of engagement with the people that you serve so that when you do call for the meeting, they're not like, oh, crap, man, I must have done something wrong. 
because that's how it kind of feels when you go six months before a conversation, you know? Um, so, mm-hmm. and I also would say that what we're really talking about here is expectation management. That's another word I want to, I want you to leave with around difficult conversations. Difficult conversations are easier to have if you do a good job as a manager with expectation management. If you do a good job of communicating what success looks like for this person in this role and have that frequency of engagement of how they're doing along the way. And I think that's what Becca's saying with kind of this focus on the positive. Um, so anything else you wanted to share out there? Becca. That's it. All right. Well, I think we got one more question I want to roll through here in the time that we have together. Um, And so that's, that's taking this a bit um, more intentionally a step forward. We talked a lot about you as an individual and and how that has come to be for you to kind of work at a really high level. Uh, You shared out as a manager, what that looks like for you and, and maybe drew upon some of the managers that you've seen throughout your experience that really have inspired you to do incredible work. And you had those great habits that you shared. And I want to talk really in closing about the team, right? So the collection mm-hmm. of individuals. And I'm curious, you know, I mean, shoot, you've been around teams a long time, going back to participatory sport as a gymnast and with soccer at a young age, then, you know, with the football program at Morris College, then at Purdue, NCAA, I mean, you know it, now team works right? Where you started as a very junior account manager and individual contributor. And now you've grown into over the past five years, a manager of others. So girl, you know a lot about teams, right? (laughs) The good and the bad. Um, And so I'm curious if you just share with, with our listeners here, some top habits of what it is to, to be a high performing team. Sure. So I think the first, as cheesy as it sounds, is teamwork or selflessness. I think it's about finding people that genuinely care about each other and the quality of their work and knowing how it impacts others and are just, you know, passionate about the the mission and the company uh, or the mission of the company. I think people that, you know, it's not just about them. Not that we, there shouldn't be moments where you're individually recognizing people, but they're bought into the bigger picture. And the second one would be diversity and thought and background. So I think managers should look to include a variety of perspectives and in, in their decision-making and team building. And that's not just about um, race and gender, but also including people with different educational backgrounds, different experiences. I think embracing people who have taken different paths and contributed to the company or life in different ways um, can really enhance the quality of the team and the quality of information you're getting in order to grow the company. And I think the last one would just be fun. I think finding people that can be, you know, really, really hard workers and stay focused, but know how to pull back and joke around with each other and, you know, to some extent, take things lightly so they don't get too caught up in the, the um, you know, whether it's a fast-paced environment. I think being able to laugh and just enjoy each other makes, uh, makes everything a lot better. Absolutely. Uh, it's, a, it's a joy to be around certain people and, and that, that, that just experience of having fun um, man, it, it builds teams and trust rapidly. So just going through the, uh, the things working backwards here from what Becca shared, high-performing teams have fun together, right? High-performing teams are built from a diverse collection of folks, um, not just background, not just sex, not just ethnicity, but also thought, 
that diversity is really powerful. And I think my experience is that I've been in, in coaches of organizations where we, we hired too many people that look just like us and lacked mm-hmm. in some of that diversity and thought because that's comfortable, to be honest. Right. But when you have a whole bunch of executors and no critical thinkers and you're wondering why the strategy is a train wreck, it's because you hired too many folks that are just like you. So um, I've right. definitely not done that well in the past. And the, and the first thing here she shared is that high-performing teams, they're just, they're, they're, there's a selflessness part of them and just a general predisposition to want to work as a collaborative team. So Becca, thanks for sharing that with us. All right. I think that's a wrap on episode 14 here together. Thanks so much. It was a gift for you to be here with us today. And like we always do, it's time to break it on down right? High Performance Pathways, we have this signature breakdown. We'd like to invite you to, to offer that rubber stamp on this unique episode that is uniquely yours. So Becca, I would love for you to break us on down with our three claps and the boom shakalaka. Are you ready? I'm ready. All right. No, you are. Born ready. All right. So here's how it's going to go. I'm going to say break down and I'm going to count the numbers one, two, three. And when you hear the number three, that's inviting you to render those three claps followed by the words, boom, shakalaka. You ready? I'm ready. All right, Becca. Hey, Becca Harrison, breaking us out here on High Performance Pathways, episode 14. Break us on down, Becca. Break down on three. One, two, three. Boom shakalaka. Yeah, that's right. Love it. Hey, Becca, thanks so much. Hey, I want to wish you incredible luck with the singing engagement that's upcoming. I know you're going to crush it, and you'll be a gift to a lot of folks that are listening. And, hey, uh, we're super proud of you with, with stepping into the NBA. And I know you got those 5 o'clock early morning wake-ups. Uh, keep it going, girl. And uh, pretty soon, NBA UNC will be part of your portfolio and I'm proud of you for everybody else if they want to connect with Becca to kind of continue some of this conversation she's she's got a lot of great information to share with you you can find her on LinkedIn at Becca Harrison that's spelled h-a-r-r-i-s-o-n and you can find this episode and more episodes of high performance pathways at my website courtwhitman.com or on apple podcast spotify iHeartRadio, or google play simply listed as High Performance Pathways. Thanks for being with us today, y'all. Now get out there and chase high performance in your life.